0: Welcome to the podcast, Let the prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the first book of Kings, that is Malachim Aleph. We are up to Perak <coughs> Tet Zion, <coughs> excuse me, that is chapter 16. We left chapter 15, where the um, split between the northern tribes and the northern kingdom and the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin and the southern kingdom uh, was was solidified the uh, the uh, reign of of the first king Yeravam ben Nevat. His son Nadav had been overthrown by Basha, and Basha was now the king in the north. Uh, we mentioned that Basha was was evil, a bad king. He worshipped uh, idols. Continued the pattern that Yeravam set the northern kingdom on the bad path that they were on, and that a new king in the south arose named Asa. Asa, a descendant of the line of David, who turned things around and was whole with God and destroyed idol worship in the southern kingdom. Not perfect, but um, definitely a step in the right direction. And as a pattern, as we'll see, in the southern kingdom while they were far, far from perfect and constantly also falling into traps like the northern Bev- brethren, there was, you know, glimmers of hope. There was always, you know, some moves in the right direction. You know, it went back down, up, down, up, whereas the north, it was all down. So we're right now, we start the 16th parak, where you have Basha as the king of the north, an evil king. You have Asa as the king of the south. And you have the two parties warring against each other, constant war between the two nations. Uh, so that's how that's the setting at which chapter 16 begins. And we will continue to see the descent of the Northern Kingdom into further chaos that just gets worse and worse and worse until by the end of this chapter it'll at least politically get somewhat stabilized. Um, and the Southern Kingdom. Uh, We'll see, we'll see. So let's go ahead. And the word of God came to a prophet by the name of Yehu, the son of Hanani. And he prophesied to King Basha as follows. It's clear, and as we've seen uh, in the earlier chapters, that prophets were still prophesying. We saw how the prophet who was identified by tradition as Edo, but a nameless prophet came to warn of Am, we saw how, um, and now we're seeing how Yehu, so the, God is still trying to move the people of the north in the right direction uh, by sending them prophets. But they're not going in the right direction, they're not listening, and therefore the prophet Yehu had the following words for Basha. Uh, in, in the next chapter 17, And without um, giving away too much, uh, we have the main prophet who prophesied uh, to the north, To try to bring them around back to God, of course, and that being Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, which we will spend a lot of time speaking about him, but not yet in this chapter. So God far from gave up on the north. So here you have Yehu, he is saying a prophecy to the king Basha as follows. Because I brought you up from the dirt. Right. In other words, you are a nobody. And I made you into a somebody. I made you the king. I made you the chief over my nation Israel. Nonetheless, you followed in the path of Yeravam, Jeroboam, and you continued to cause my nation Israel to sin in such a way that all you did was make me angry due to their sins. This is what you did. You continued on that path. Because of that, in other words, one, one infers from here that had Basha turned the people around, then the fact that Basha had destroyed the family of Yeravam would have been looked at as something good, as an achievement, as an accomplishment, had he then used the opportunity to turn the people around and bring them back to God. But instead, he did not. And therefore, in in Eve verse 3, Therefore I am going to <laughs> destroy um, it seems like it's a language of I'm not just going to destroy, but I'm going to search them out and continue to destroy, uh, it, to, to get rid of them at the roots. so his entire family. I'm going to make your house, you, the king of Basha, I mean Basha, the king, I'm going to make your house, it's going to be destroyed just like the house of Yeravam Jeroboam. Hamet le Basha, the same language that was used. And the prophecies regarding the house of Yeravam is now being used in the prophecies regarding Basha. Those that die from Basha's family in the city, will be eaten by the stray dogs. And those that die in the fields, will be eaten by the vultures of the sky. And again, in the same pattern of the Book of Kings, it's not going to go into all of the details, of all of the various accomplishments, achievements, failures, etc., of Basha's kingdom and what he did, what he enacted, the wars he fought, Basha also, the things he did, and the powerful things he did. If you really want to know about them, you can go and read about them just fine if you go ahead and read in the book, the history books of the kings of Israel. And Basha went to lay with his fathers, he passed on. And he was buried in what was then the capital of the northern kingdom, the city of Tirza, which had now been the capital since Yeravam's days, since Vayimloch, uh, Eloh, and and his son Eloh became king after him. But the, the, even though we saw somewhat of a little bit of a transition of power to the sun, which is some level of a sign of stability, but it was over because the, the the um in in Yehu had a prophecy that which reflected the word of God regarding Basha and his family, uh, and and regarding Basha and his family and all of the evil that he had done in, in God's eyes because he made him angry with the actions of his hands. I know I've emphasized this before, but I'm going to continue to do so. That the key pr- problem here is Yehu, I mean, I'm sorry, not Yehu, Basha, obviously, well, we don't know exactly what, he, he he may have said things, he may have com- claimed to be praying to God, but the key here is, is that his Ma'asei Yadav, the actions of his hands, were were like the house, of the, of the evil house of the, of Jeroboam, and um, and and that which he had struck him, meaning in this case, and in, in, uh, uh in somewhat anthropomorphic terms, uh, struck striking, God so to speak by by acting in this in this in this evil manner. So in other words, he's continued on this path. He continued going down this path. Um. Uh, I'm. Uh, the, the other understanding of Al-Sheri uh, Ka'oto is, is the, that, that he had struck down the house of Yeravam. In other words, um, in other words the, the fact that he had struck the house of Yeravam would have been something good had he then changed the path of the kingdom to the good. But because he did not and he continued in the evil ways of Yeravam, now, that which he had struck Yeravam is now looked upon as a sin, as something bad, because clearly he had no right to kill the family of Yeravam if all he was going to do was continue on the same path. So let's continue. Now we're going to flip for a little bit as we go back and forth so that we understand what's going on in the southern kingdom at this, at this contemporaneous time. During the 26th year, of the reign of Asa, the king of Yuda, who, as we learned before, ruled for quite a long time, like 40 years, Malach Ela ben Basha. That is when Ela, the son of Basha, became the king al Yisrael betir Sashna And he lasted as king for two years. But, as we will see, he was a drunk, and he was an evil king. By his he had a servant whose name was Zimri, who was Sar Machatis He was a a, a general or a commander Over half the chariots <coughs> Of the armies of the northern kingdom So he was a powerful general In the army And he the king Ela, Was getting drunk In the capital Drinking wine Getting drunk In the house of Artza Artza was the Was one of his top men Who was in charge of the king's palace's affairs And uh, the king was busy getting drunk in his house, and which made him vulnerable to an attempted coup. So Zimri uh, saw the opportunity. Vayavo Zimri, Zimri came, killed the king, struck him down. Bishnat esrim vasheva, and this occurred during the twenty-seventh yearly liasa Yehuda, of the reign of Asa, the king of Yehuda. and Zimri thus seized the throne, and made himself king. and when he and it was as soon as he became king, so as soon as he sat on the throne, his first order of business was he called Beit Basha. He went and he killed all of the entire family of Basha. He did not leave one person alive, not a single male again, using this crude language, one who urinates against the wall, not a single male, not a single relative, not, a, not even a single friend. So, any supporter of the family of Basha who would have supported the king Elah who he had just killed, were killed and gotten rid of by Zimri. made Zimri at kol Basha. Zimri thus fulfilled the, the prophecy which had been given by God regarding the house of Basha. Kidvara Adonai asher diber el Basha anavi like the prophecy which God had given to Yehu the prophet. Et kol chatot Basha Elah b'noa chatu and the reason why this was done was because of all of the sins of Basha and all of the sins of Ela, his son, the drunk. Asherchatu that they sinned. at Israel, and worse than that, that they brought the other Jewish people, the rest of Israel, to sin. and in, in such a way that all it resulted in angering at Adonai Israel, angering God, the Lord of Israel, with their nonsense, with their with their false. And, and terrible um, behavior specifically referring here most likely to the idol worship. If you want to know anything else about Eila, again, all these are all written in the history books of the kings of Israel. If you're interested, go look there. But here, which, for the point of, of the book of Kings, this is enough for us to know. Now, during the 27th year of the king Asa of Judah, when all these events occurred up in the north, Malach Zimri Shivas Yamim, Zimri was only lasted as a king for seven days and the town of Tirtsa, still remaining the capital. And during this time, Zimri, while he's sitting as the king, being busy taking his vengeance against Basha's family, the nation was involved in a war. They were encamped on Gibdon, which was a Philistine city. The Philistines had, as we've seen in the last chapter, had started acting up again, even though they were subdued by David. They started becoming an enemy again. And the nation was camped against them in, in battle. And um, Zimri, whose job was to be a general, uh, to be the commander over half the chariots, who should have been involved in war, was involved in in. In this nonsense of overthrowing the king and getting rid of his family, <laughs> so that obviously didn't make him very popular with the people. So Vaishmaha So the people that were there camped. The the nation, the army, uh, heard what had happened. They heard as follows: that Koshar Zimri, that Zimri uh, rebelled against the king, um, and uh, and Avgam he Koshar uh, is he. He conspired. The Zimri conspired. Not only did he plan, but he killed the king. So, so, and they, so they were kind of justifiably and quite understandably upset with their general, who's busy grasping power for himself instead of defending the people during a war. So, call Israel, the people of Israel, the people decided that we needed another king, someone who actually fights for us. So they took at Omri, they made Omri the king, and he was the Sar of al-Yisrael by Yomuhu Bamachaneh. He was the general of the army over the northern people of Israel. On that day, then, he was Mahane, He was in the camp. He was there. So that general showed that he was interested in the people and interested in fighting their fight and, and defending them against their enemies as opposed to Zimri, who was only interested in himself. One interesting thing here is we see how the appointment of kings was not exactly democratic as we would call it today, but somewhat democratic in the, to the extent that the people had a say in who they were going to make the king. We've seen this when King Saul was made king, the people accepted him. When David was made king, we and we see it here in the northern kingdom that the people chose their leader, and they chose their leader based on his leadership qualities he had already shown that he was a faithful and trustworthy leader <clears throat> and we'll see that although umri was not exactly the uh, the best to put it mildly in terms of how he worshiped god and how he led the people but he in in terms of their spirituality but in terms of being a a powerful and strong and reliable leader umri was able to restore some level of stability to the kingdom. Um, which we're going to see soon. And, and he did act. In his people's best interest. At least that's what the what we can see. So now. Uh, so they made Amri the king. But Zimri is still sitting. On the throne. In the capital Tirzah. So Amri now. With all of the people of Israel. Left Givton, They left the siege. The, where they were fighting the Philistines, and went back and now laid siege to the capital Tirzah. When Zimri saw that the city was, 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 was surrounded and there was no hope for him against all of the army and Omri at their lead, he came to the, the uh, palace citadel, the tall tower in the king's palace, palace, and he burned down the entire palace, and he burned, burned down the palace and, and died. So this is the kind of person who kind of followed a scorched earth policy. He burned the whole palace, with all, of, presumably with all of its wealth, maybe even with all, many of the people that serve the palace inside, killing himself, but also depriving Umri of the, of the symbolic um, victory of taking over the palace and beginning his rule there. So here you have Umri now starting without a palace and a devastated capital. Um, and why did Zimri meet this end? because of his sins that he'd sinned La because he also, even though he had a brief only a very brief time in King as a king, he clearly continued in the path of Yuravam. And and they continued in the path of Jeroboam, of Yeravam to continue to make the people of Israel sin. So if you want to know anything else about the story of Zimri and his conspiracy, and his his plots, you can go ahead and read the history books. The details are there. Now... um, the um, that Omri uh, has now been established as the king. He doesn't really have a capital, but um, he was made as the king by the people that had encamped over were encamped by by the Philistines and had then abandoned that battle and went to overthrow Zimri and place Omri as king. But that the now the people themselves became divided. Some wanted Omri, and some wanted someone else. Uh, and we'll see in a minute, verse twenty-one. At that point, the people of Israel were split into two groups. Half the people wanted to um, to appoint uh, a man by the name of Tivni, the son of Ginat, to make him the king. And half wanted to to uh, make Omri the king. So, in other words, we have now a civil war within the northern kingdom. It's hard to imagine a descendant to chaos worse than this. First, there's a civil war between the north and the south. The north cannot seem to get their act together and establish a lasting, uh, steady monarchy with with a reliable, cha- um, uh, you know, a reliable passage of command from generation to generation. With uh, a reliable transfer of power. And now it's even worse. Now you have a civil war between two factions over who should be the king. And During this war, the Amasher Amri, the faction of the people that were following Amri, were stronger than Et Amasher Tivni ben Ginat. They were stronger than those who supported Tivni. By Yamas, Tivni, eventually Tivni died. It doesn't say that he was killed. It says that he died. It's unclear exactly what the circumstances of that death were, at least from the um, uh, uh, the the, uh, uh, the the um of his death were. The imri amri, and then they made amri the king. So now you have amri taking over after zimri, who zimri himself was only king for a, for a week. Zimri had killed out the Elah, the son of Basha, and Basha had killed out Nadav, the son of Yeravam, and that's the progression of the kings of the northern kingdom so far. And now you have Omri as the king. Let's flip to the south again. During the 31st year of the reign of Asa, who had, as we mentioned above, a very long reign, very stable reign during all this turmoil. The uh, southern kingdom was a tremendous contrast. They had a stable ruler, a ruler that led the people back to God, etc. Malach Amri al Yisrael. Amri now became the king over Israel. <speaking in Hebrew> he was the king that he was the king for twelve years. Malach <speaking in> him <Hebrew> However, he had his capital in the in the uh, ruined city of tirzah for six years. In order to he wanted to rebuild. Um, the capital so he found another city which uh, which um Shomron made Shemer he went and he bought from a person by the name of Shemer the hill of Shomron and this then for the rest of history until today the region uh, is called Shomron Samaria and it was named Shomron because of the capital of of, the, of this mountain, the, the mountain of Shomron, uh, and uh, that became the capital of the northern kingdom from now until the end of the northern kingdom. And why very often you have the phrase of Yehudah, of the co- country of Judah and the country of Shomron, because Shomron is the capital of all the northern tribes. And it's about to happen now. It was Omri that established a new capital in Shomron, he bought it from Shemer with a significant amount of silver. And he built up the mountain. He built the city up there. And the name of the city that he built, he called it Al-Shem Shemer. He, on the, he named it after the Shemer, who was the person he bought it from, Adonai Ahar, who was the owner, the original owner. He named it Shomron. So that's how it achieved its name, Shomron, because the guy named Shemer was the original owner. And interestingly... This is pointed out because Omri went and made a fair sale. Remember, Omri was uh, placed in as a king because of a popular uprising. People wanted him to be king. And it makes sense that rather than expropriating land for himself, like we will find out his evil son Ahav will do later, Omri went and bought it for a fair price and built up Shomron. And this is considered in general throughout tradition as a positive thing of Omri. However, Omri wasn't so positive overall despite... His, some of his his positive acts like we just read as we'll see right now verse 25 did evil in the eyes of God and in ways he was even worse than all the people that preceded him that was umri um <laughs> And he went in all the ways um, the, that Yerav'am uh, had done. And in the sins that he had made the people of Israel sin. This is a phrase which we've heard over and over again. In such a way as to make God angry with all of their nonsense, with all of their false gods, etc it would seem that the mikol of and this is just um, something that seems to come out of the context, and, and as we read about Ahav and his particular evil, um, it, it'll kind of be fulfilled, and that is is that it seems that the earlier kings, although they had other temples and so on, they were still at least nominally worshipping God. They were worshipping the God who brought the people out of Egypt. They were still maintaining that practice of worshiping God, although they had it messed up. They didn't go to the proper temple. They had made their own temples. They made a calf, so it was a very messed up understanding, but it was they were still worshiping God. But now Umri seems to have been bringing people closer, which is why we started saying Bahavlehem, who was leading the people in their false gods, in their false nonsense, their their false worshiping which is the slippery slope that started with Yirav Am and brought the people eventually to what we find with Ahav, where he openly brought the 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 worship of Baal brought it into the population and made that the worship of the people so it turned people away from God and towards a idol so the so that would why it seems that Omri uh, continued that path in a bigger way and made made idol worship even more entrenched in the northern kingdom and the other things again the same as we said with the other kings other things that Amri had done whatever uh, accomplishments and achievements he had uh, in, in battle feel free go read it in the history books interestingly Amri is another king who is famously mentioned in extra biblical contemporaneous sources in the Mesha St. Uh, Stella, All right, the S-T-E-L-E. I always miss how to pronounce that. A famous uh, archaeological find, in which uh, umri Omri is mentioned uh, there and his how he conquered Moab, uh, and this is something which um is another place where one of the kings and he's mentioned specifically Omri the king of Israel, uh, in an extra biblical source, so this is again another this uh, you know place where we have uh, the histor- the historical record corroborating what we find in the Bible. Now Amri and eventually Amri of course passed on with his fathers Vaikaver Shomron. he ended up buried in Shomron while the other kings of the Israel were buried in Tirzah and Ahav his son became king after him. <coughs> now Achav, we're going learn read a lot about Achav. Uh, right now, we're just going to f- uh, finish off this chapter with just a few introductory facts about Ahav, but uh, th- we're going to have a lot to talk about Ahav, uh during the coming chapters, and he's going to be one of the main, um, uh, the main characters in the drama that's going to unfold in the next few chapters. So here we are being introduced to him and being told what kind of a person he is. Achav, the son of Amri, became king during the 38th year of the reign of Asa. So Asa has been king this this entire time while in the north it keeps bouncing back and forth from one king to another to another. So Achav became king near the end of Asa's reign. At his 38th year, Achav ben and Achav, the son of Omri, became king over the people of Israel, and his capital was in Shamron. Esther Mushnaim Shani was the king for 22 years. Achav ben He did evil in the eyes of God, even worse than anyone before him. In other words, even worse than his father Amri, who was said to be even worse than the people before him. <laughs> hanokel um, and it was that. And this word is an interesting one uh, to translate, but uh, basically it comes from the word kal, which means light, which means the lightest things. Right, that he did was go. In other words, the the least that he did bad was going was continuing in the sins of Jeroboam. But he did worse than that because why what did he do? He brought in, he married uh, the the king of the Tsidonim, the from Sidon, the Phoenician people. Uh, he they had a king named Et who is the king and named after the idol of the people of the Phoenicians, which is the idol of Baal. And Ezebel his daughter, uh Achav took her in as a wife, thus bringing in the worship of Baal and making it the official religion. So here, Umri had allowed the people to descend into idol worship. Achav made it even worse by bringing it in and making it into the state religion. So here we have Yirav Am wanting the people to worship God, but just not in the temple. And eventually it sunk and it sunk and it sunk to the point where all of us, now people aren't even worshipping God anymore and we're going to see how bad this will get. And he, meaning achav abandoned God and went and worshipped Baal and bowed to Baal. And he went and he made a altar to Baal. So here now he's putting up a house of idol worship that he built in this, his capital of Shomron. And Achav went and he built an Asherah, which is a shrine to the, the female consort of Baal. Remember, there was Baal, who's the husband god, who is the, 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 the one who, uh, is also the god of rain, who brings fertility and, and, and seeds to the land, and also is the symbol of the male bringing fertility to the woman. And then the Asherah is the woman who brings out the either the uh, produce from the land or the children from her womb. <clears throat> this is the basis of this cult of Asherah and Baal. And so Achav built up the Asherah. And he continued and got even worse. To anger God, the Lord of Israel. Even worse than any of the kings of Israel that preceded him. And he's doing this at a time when the southern kingdom is returned to God. So here we have a tremendous contrast. We have Ahab, the king, who is establishing a national religion of idol worship at a time when the southern kingdom has reestablished and devoted itself again to the true national religion of God and monotheism. And at this time, thrown in at the last verse of this chapter is an interesting fact. And it harkens back to the beginning days of when the people had conquered, uh, had, had entered the land. When the people of Israel entered the land under the leadership of Joshua, the first town that they conquered was Jericho, was Jericho. And if you recall back then, and I suggest to you if you don't, go back and listen to the, well, the podcasts that I taught back then. <coughs> that you, that Joshua made a cherem, he made a decree a curse on anyone who would ever come and rebuild Yericho. Yericho was to be left desolate as a monument to to the uh, to remember to help the people remember the conquest that God had over over that, that God brought the people in and help them con- uh, you know conquer the land from the Canaanites now if back then I explained the purpose and point of that was to show that we are not attacking and coming into this land because we want to win booty, because we want to get rich, because we want to get... However, we are doing it because God is giving us this land and we are here for a reason and for a purpose to establish a new idea, a new way of worshiping God, a new way of of, of, of worshiping God in in a proper and appropriate way without the corruption, without the... the um, uh, well the well the promiscuity without the uh, abuse of other human beings and and and, 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 and human sacrifice without the um, the terrible corruption which which comes about and the arrogance which comes about which we've which we've went into in detail in many of these podcasts because of the practices of the polytheists of the time the um, Leaving Yericho was that symbol. Leaving Yericho alone was there to show that we didn't just come here to conquer goods. Remember how how people were not allowed to take any of the goods, any of the wealth that was left in Yericho. It had to remain there. We didn't do. That's not the reason for us building up this place. And now that that Achav has brought the people full circle from that grand grand notion of establishing a new idea. An idea, a worldwide idea, that the entire world can work together in peace, and where we can, where there's one God, where we can all have the same unity of purpose. There's a reason, there's a purpose for us being here. That we have to act in a certain way. It's not about sacrificing and appeasing this God, that or that God or the other one. It's about doing and living the kind of life that the one Creator has, uh, you know, asks us to do because He made the world for us to live in justice and righteousness, etc. Right? It was a new idea. And Akhov and, and symbolizes the absolute failure of that mission. We went full circle all the way from that grand idea to this terrible, terrible failure. Therefore, it makes sense that at this time somebody would go and rebuild Yericho. Because all of a sudden, we're no different than anyone else. We conquered this land just like every other nation that conquers another nation for selfish reasons. Biomav, in his day and Achav's day, Bonachiel, Beta, Eli at Yericho. Ch- Chiel, Chiel, who was from Betel, he went and rebuilt Yericho. Interestingly, Yericho is in the territory of the southern kingdom. So there's clearly people going back and forth from the southern to the northern kingdom, people buying property from the southern to the northern kingdom and back and forth. And <coughs> at the expense of Ba'aviram B'choroh at the expense of Aviram, his, his firstborn, who died, presumably and it's understood to be at the uh, as a result of, of, of breaking Joshua's curse, he lost his son. but nonetheless he built it anyway. And by the time he, he uh, established the gates around the city after he rebuilt the city, by that time his youngest had died too. In other words, one gets the, it's written this way to, to convey the message that all of his children had died. So as he was building the city, the curse started to fulfill itself, but he continued on in his quest and continued building until he locked the gates around it. And by that time, all of his children had passed because of the curse of Yeshua. at of course, Just as God had spoken in the hands of Yoshua Benon, when Yoshua Benon made that prophecy and made that and said that curse to the people, but he went ahead and built it anyway. The arrogance, the idea that you're, you're going to go about and do what you want to do, despite the fact that you're literally sacrificing other human beings, in this case your own children, to the cause of your own personal aggrandizement, your own personal wealth, your own personal pleasure, is the idea that makes the idea of idolatry so disgusting, but, and which is represented by Chiel doing this act, And and it's no surprise that this happened under the leadership of Ahav, who was the king in the north that brought the people to this lowest level. I know this chapter was a little long, but uh, a lot of events happened. Uh, We're going to start the next chapter with uh, some very interesting events. So uh, stay tuned uh, for the story of Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, and his... um, back and forth between him and Achav, and so on. So thank you so much for studying this together with me. Looking forward to studying the rest of this book of Kings and of course uh, have a wonderful day.